Hey there, my name is Rob Payone, and welcome to the Proof of Talent podcast, the show where we talk about everything related to the career journey and people function within the blockchain, crypto, and Web3 space. Today, we have an awesome guest. It is Zach Skelly from Dragonfly Capital. Now, if you don't know Zach, he has been now operating within the recruiting and talent space within crypto since 2018. So he's been in the space for quite some time, and he is worth both in-house with 0x leading their talent and scaling there, but now also with Dragonfly supporting, I believe, over 100 portfolio companies. So he has a really fantastic skill set, both really in-depth in terms of operating, but also in a wide, broader scale, helping a number of companies at the same time. So really delivering information at scale to a number of organizations to help them succeed in hiring. So if you are a company right now that is hiring, you're looking to improve your processes, you're looking to hear, frankly, how experts are doing it right now, this is a really good interview for you. Also, on the flip side, if you're a job seeker and you're interested in, in thinking like some of these companies do or, or learning a little bit more about how some of these companies think when it comes to hiring, this is another great thing for you to listen to. Chock full of awesome information from Zach. So thanks in advance for that. Prior to getting into the interview, though, if you are interested in new opportunities within the crypto space, feel free to reach out to us on the Proof of Talent website. I'll include links in the YouTube and podcast description as well. Alternatively, if you are a company that is hiring right now, if you're trying to grow, scale your team effectively, please reach out as well. I'll put links in the YouTube and podcast description. I will reach out to you. We'll arrange a conversation. We'll go from there. Until then, thanks so much. Let's hop into that interview. Zach. Thanks so much for taking the time to join the Proof of Talent podcast. I really appreciate it. And you have a about as thorough of a background in the talent landscape as I think anybody in the crypto space right now. I met you when you were uh, working in talent at, at Zero X, now at Dragonfly. One of the things that I find pretty interesting, we've had a couple different discussions with people within the VC talent function what does that mean? What does the talent function really mean at Dragonfly? How do you approach that on, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Um, well, it's, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I think it, it means a lot of different things, really. But um, at the end of the day, I think our mission is to, um, A, kind of try to be the, the center of gravity for crypto as much as we can. And that means several different things to us, but attracting the strongest talent, attracting the strongest founders, um, setting standards in the industry as much as possible, kind of innovating, releasing, you know, hopefully compelling, actionable content. That's one piece of it. The other is um, really building teams that build teams like effectively. Um, I think a lot of it is around education and empowerment. And uh, it's always a fine balance of strategy and tactics. You know, I, I think the best VC talent funds are able to kind of operate at the macro scale across the whole portfolio and the micro scale, you know, giving very um, high attention and high touch service to individual companies. But, but yeah, it's, it's a matter of um, making sure that the teams in our portfolio know how to do hiring well and kind of augmenting their efforts as much as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And just for, for clarity's sake too. So if I'm a very early stage founder, if I'm somebody who is maybe even thinking about starting a company soon and, and raising money, obviously not every venture firm has even a talent function or a talent person internally. Um, 
what, if anything, is is like the benefit that, that you see or that, that you try to provide to these early stage founders from a, a talent function standpoint? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm actually in the middle of doing a little bit of writing on this. I'm hoping to release something quite soon um, that I that kind of tells the journey of how we built this function and why we built it in the way that we did. Um, also, hopefully, might implicitly and explicitly explain a little bit about what founders might want to look for. Um, but for us, at least when we started, um, I really tried. I, I was on my own. I have a team of two people who work with me now that are excellent. But um, my initial strategy was just to go to the portfolio and kind of figure out like, hey, what is it that you feel like you need most? So I really tried to approach it from like a first principles kind of perspective. And I guess um, our roadmap has since evolved into um, something that's kind of based around four strategic pillars. And I, I guess this is the value that we think we broadly add to the portfolio. Um, I can talk about that and kind of what that means. And I can also maybe share a little bit of advice on like what specifically to look for in a VC talent function. Would Would that be helpful or? Yeah, I think I think all that would would be helpful to to learn. Sure. Um, so for one, I mean, we're we're having internal hiring at Dragonfly, but I'm going to leave that off the the plate because I know this is a little bit more about founders. Um, the first of those four pillars we think of as network, and for us, it's really like how do we leverage the network that we have? Um, we're pretty fortunate that we probably have one of the stronger networks in the industry. So it's you know how do we get talent to the right places? Um, how can we help teams vet? their own talent appropriately? Like, does it make sense to get back channel references from time to time, et cetera? So I guess that kind of breaks out into a few different service offerings. But for one, um, we have a process that we've designed where we're kind of speaking to candidates regularly on our own and either hand matching them with companies that we think there's really strong alignment around or giving them an opportunity to express interest directly to us, by, in which case we'll We'll try to facilitate like a double opt-in kind of intro. So we, we do a lot of that, just networking and introductions. Um, exec is another part of it too, um, kind of alongside this broader talent community. We have specific efforts underway for that. Um, and then I think of network as also having community underneath it. So actually fostering a space for founders and recruiters in the portfolio to kind of support one another and collaborate and share knowledge. And so that's one tier or pillar is kind of um, network. I think another really big part of what we do is really coaching. Um, this is probably the second biggest thing. Um, we're helping teams on all sorts of issues. You know, a, a lot of our portfolio is pretty early stage. So it's, it's like, how do you build a hiring function from scratch? And that entails everything from um, tooling through interview process, you know, through defining jobs well and making sure that you're looking for the right things, making sure you understand that you know, it's important your interviewers remain calibrated and how to do that. Lots and lots of challenges. Um, we've produced a lot of content too that currently is exclusive to the portfolio, um, like guides and kind of more practical, actionable things that we use to, as a reference in, in coaching. Um, maybe at the basis of a lot of that, there's, there's this idea that we often talk about uh, that that's kind of a trilemma in our minds. So like, there's this idea of speed, cost, and quality. And a big part of our coaching is like at any given time, you're probably going to only be able to optimize for two of those three things. Um, like, you know, if you if you want to hire good talent quickly, it's probably going to cost you a lot of money, et cetera. And, you know, you can kind of like extrapolate from there. Um, so we're helping teams optimize that. Coaching, again, is a, is a big piece. Um, 
we also have a big emphasis on like ops and data and just systems. Um, I think as a, as a lean team of three, working with a portfolio of 140 companies, um, figuring out like how do we benefit the whole portfolio broadly. And again, like give specialized attention really requires pretty strong operational rigor. So we're tracking a lot and we're constantly kind of looking at it and staying attuned to industry trends and our own efficacy and trying to like optimize based on data very regularly. And then lastly, this, this fourth pillar that we kind of work around is really research and content. So um, we want to give back to the community broadly as much as we can and um, hopefully be putting out you know, pieces or even interviews like this that are ideally thoughtful and novel and practical and um, kind of enable us to continue down this route of being the center of gravity, attracting the right talent, and hopefully like broadly helping up-level the whole space through, through what we're putting out. So trying to come back to your question, I'm sorry if that was long-winded. Um, I think those are like the four main service pillars that we offer to founders. Mm -hmm. I do think there are probably specific things that you might want to look for if you're a founder and you're trying to evaluate, like, is this the right function for me to work with? And I can get into that too, but does that make sense or any questions about what I mentioned there? Yeah, no, I, I think that was, that was all really helpful. I think one thing that, that sticks out too is the, that trilemma that you spoke about a little bit. I think it's a really good, it's something that I haven't necessarily thought of in those terms and I feel like it sums up a lot of the things that at least we see internally from a, from a hiring standpoint when working with uh, the clients that we do at, at Proof of Talent is is kind of seeing that this combination. It's it's you said speed, quality, and cost. Yeah. Is that the yeah? And and so I feel like it is an area in which I I would tend to agree that I think, you know, you kind of hit on two out of the three and it's nearly impossible to get three out of three unless you're in a, in a very, very unique place. And almost interestingly enough, I feel like from a, from a hiring standpoint at this moment, it seems like a lot of companies right now are optimizing for cost and quality over speed mm -hmm. and that things have slowed down a little bit. Um, it seems like there, there has been a little, little bit of pickup and activity for sure. We've had you know, a nice, nice quarter at, at proof town, although I think we are kind of a small sample size, so it's not like indicative of, of the entire industry by any stretch, but generally the companies that we work with, I think the focus really maybe more so than the kind of hiring frenzy of years past has, has been more on the optimizing for for quality and, and cost over just like hey we need this person tomorrow yeah, yeah i agree um, i think when the markets are turbulent or slow that's something that we're often advising teams to do like you'll, you'll have a little bit more time to focus on cost and quality versus needing to be fast because talent is just kind of flying everywhere you know so i think it's a good time to kind of build discipline around your own internal efforts and bandwidth and um set a stronger foundation for for when markets really kick up again you know for sure and and so you have been professionally involved in the talent function within the crypto space since like mid to late 2017. So I think you've certainly seen a fair deal of cycles. How do you view like how do you view the space cyclically and and maybe where are we right now kind of within that type of 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 structure? Yeah. Um it's a good question. I mean at a, at a very high level I think there are naturally these boom and bust periods. And if you look back historically um, across the lifetime of crypto and 
even just Bitcoin, you know, you'll, you'll kind of see, I, I would say there are maybe like at least four like kind of major boom bust cycles. Um, top of mind for me right now is some analysis that we did around the first half of the year. Um, usually quarterly, we try and take a step back and like review our notes and we have a bunch of dashboards and stuff that we built and we, we kind of look for trends and um, we'll do like a recap for the founders every quarter where we discuss those trends and give them advice. So um, I think the first half of the year to answer your question was, um, was turbulent, you know, like we were kind of coming off the tail end of FTX at the end of last year. Um, I think public confidence was a little bit shaken. There were like these unprecedented layoffs that happened earlier this year across tech broadly. Um, so we saw some shifts for sure. And I could talk more about what the trends were in H1 if you want, but I, yeah. right now I feel like we're kind of reaching this point of equilibrium again. Um, like it looks like things have kind of stabilized. I, to me, it doesn't feel like we're in like a crazy bull market, like boom cycle quite yet, you know, but um, but we're back to, to like status quo, I think versus like this dip that we saw at the end of the year and in early 2023, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I I would I would tend to agree. I think that at least from from what I've seen and, and felt, like the period somewhat between like let's say the the Luna collapse of twenty twenty two and kind of coinciding with when the Fed was raising rates up until maybe like springtime of, of this year, it was a pretty kind of turbulent time. And I think because of that, a lot of companies look to where they were and almost just frozen their tracks for the most part. Yeah. And at this point in time, it seems a lot of companies now are maybe being a little bit more opportunistic in terms of, of hiring, as well as from what we've seen, it's the, the early stage companies that are the ones hiring versus in the latter end of the last cycle, it was a lot of the larger companies that were scaling up to really very high numbers that were kind of doing the bulk of the hiring. Versus right now, I feel like it's the pre-seed, seed, Series A type companies that are doing the bulk of the hiring yeah. at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I would I would agree with a lot of that. I, I think um, if it's the, if it's helpful, the trends that I feel like we saw in kind of H one of this year. Yeah, I would love that. Um, I mean, the the portfolio was definitely still hiring, and they they still are. But again, I, I feel like um, things are kind of just now returning to more of a steady state, like right around the middle of the year. Um, like in the beginning of the year, we, we saw a pretty major dip in portfolio jobs that were being posted specifically within January. Um, that again, seems to have leveled out. Um, we also saw a really huge increase in visits to job openings and a bunch of resumes coming in around the time that these layoffs happened earlier this year. Um, I think that probably peaked around April or something like that. But again, that's kind of now returning to a little bit more of a steady state and like what we are typically accustomed to seeing. Um, so I agree with you. I, I think, you know, our portfolio is mostly early stage. We do have some later stage investments, but they are still certainly hiring. Um, maybe related to that turbulence, I think another trend that we saw is probably more than ever. I feel like um, candidates are emphasizing stability. Um, like I, I hear this coming up a lot. Uh, I think we in Q2 alone looked at like 7,000 applications. We talked to probably about 500 people um, that were, you know, well vetted by us. And I kind of found that candidates seem generally a little bit more afraid to change jobs unless um, their company is clearly like not doing super well. Um, they are definitely still interested in the space. They're definitely still interested in joining earlier teams, but um, 
I, I think they care a lot more about understanding the vision and really having faith in leadership, um, coming to grok the financials even. Like they, they basically just wanna know, is the business being run well? Um, like we get a lot of questions around stability that we weren't seeing in years prior. And this is yeah. stronger trend. Um, Another big thing, I don't know if you ran into this too, but I, I kind of feel like um, hiring efficiency broadly seems to have been hindered in some way. And, and uh, honestly, like this is something we're trying to investigate and further diagnose in the second half of this year. But we kind of noticed a lot of teams had longer time to hire in the first half of this year. Um, their pass-through rates generally seem to be a little bit lower for whatever reason. And I'm not quite sure exactly what the case for that might be, like if it's due to roadmap changes or market liquidity changes or just like shifts in planning headcount, but that, that seemed to be a thing too. Um, looking into whether that's changing and, and again, trying to help our teams optimize at different points of the funnel. Um, I'm trying to think if there were other big trends. There were definitely a few trends that were around compensation and location too, if, if that's interesting to talk about, but I, I would say those are some of the bigger ones that, that come to mind, if that makes sense. Yeah, we can definitely we can definitely talk into to compensation. I, I would say from a from a hiring efficiency standpoint, I, I think we have seen that. And you know, I don't know if it's I think it's a, a combination of of a variety of factors, at least like from what I have seen, it's mostly like anecdotal experience. But I think a lot of it is kind of that kind of going back to that trilemma, like the focus on cost and quality and really either honing in on the exact, exact perfect candidate and not settling unless you kind of find that person and, and for a cost that a company thinks is palatable. But also on the, on the flip side, I feel like there have been a decent amount of like false start searches almost mm -hmm. that, that we've seen where a company has kind of indicated we want, we want to find this person. We want to go after this, this type of individual. We want to hire this person and the role after, you know, a month or two months, just turns out like the real the even like from at the executive level the desire really isn't there to to bring on a person um within that range and i think part of that just might be due to looking into like whether it's like you said like the kind of the, the liquidity of the market whether it's um could be just runway concerns i think that's that's something that we've seen a fair bit too it's just both on like you mentioned on the candidate side which is interesting of just a lot more um, con concern in a good way or just examination and, and uh, thought behind the actual stability of a company and where they are and the longevity of a company. Um, I think on the flip side too, we, we've seen organizations be much more conservative than they may have been in the past, which again, I guess is, is good because those companies are learning lessons from, from history, which is, I would say, a positive thing. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that trend mostly with early stage companies, but I suspect that part of it might be, um, you know, they're responding to the market in a lot of ways. And sometimes they need to change their, mm -hmm. their roadmap and, you know, headcount needs change in accordance to that. Um, but that's, that's a big part of what we've spent time kind of advising around. I would say in the first half of this year is like, how do you mitigate that thrash around headcount planning? You know, how, how can you solidify and figure out resourcing um, in kind of turbulent market times? And yeah, our, our broader talent strategy had to shift too, because I, I think you're right. Um, we did see a lot more very specialized kind of niche roles. And I mentioned earlier something about trying to work at like the macro scale across the whole portfolio and the micro scale, like individualized attention mm -hmm. for teams. So when you have 
lots and lots of teams hiring very, very specific things, and you might not have as many candidates that are broadly applicable. Um, that's been a big part of our work in the first half of this year is like fine tuning our own systems to better accommodate that as much as we can for for all these different teams. So, yeah, ab absolutely, and I think that's that's similar to what we've seen has been most of our searches have been on very specific and kind of more niche roles than uh, probably in the past, a little bit more general in nature. Uh, one thing that you, you know, somewhat alluded to was almost like the, you know, dealing with the volatility from, from a, a company end. And, and that's something that I think is o always a little bit fascinating to me uh, because of the way the, just the crypto industry moves in these really like massive bolt, like boom and bust cycles um, and maybe like the advice that that your uh, that your team provides, because I, I feel like the traditional, at least for some of these larger companies, but even smaller companies as well, is that boom and bust cycle. Not only does it apply to the market prices, but it it applies to internal headcount and a lot a lot of hiring up in a bull market, only to potentially significantly downsize. I'm curious if if your team has specific thoughts or, or guidance in relation to dealing with those kind of huge ebbs and flows of potential headcount growth or, or lack thereof? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think this kind of comes back to some of what we were saying before about that trilemma that I often talk about, like speed, cost, and quality. It's, um, you know, in these times where things are a little bit more uncertain, you might want to really try and dial in cost and quality. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, I also think this depends a lot on how much product market fit you have and like where you are, what, what stage of the company are you at? Um, headcount planning for a seed or a series A company looks very different than for like a series C, series D company. And, you know, if you have traction, you might not have to worry about um, adjusting your headcount based on the roadmap quite as much. But I think for early stage teams, it's often a question of how solid is your roadmap, like your go-to-market strategy and your product roadmap. And, um, you know, I tell teams it's it's ideal if you can at least lock that in for like six months. And I know that's not always possible, but get your go-to-market and product roadmap nailed down for that period of time. And then really try and figure out, um, like reverse engineer that, you know, like realistically, how many people do we think we're going to need to um, pull off what we're trying to pull off at least in the next six months? And you probably want to bake a little bit of buffer in for possible attrition. Um, and you, you do need to think about things like time to hire. But for small teams, that's kind of... Um, the very, very high level approach, I would say. Um, but in these markets, in my opinion, honestly, it's it's not a bad time to hire. Like I've, I've always liked hiring in kind of down markets because I feel like the people who join um, are often the ones who really get your mission. And it's not like, you know, crypto's plastered all over the news and it's just like some crazy hype cycle. Like they're usually people who are very passionate and might end up sticking around. Um, and so in, in some ways, it's it's kind of business as usual, I think, you know, like you should have a forecast for your headcount as much as you can. But I, I don't think your practices should necessarily change dramatically with the market. Um, your channels might, you know, like what's what's effective in terms of where you're finding the talent. But I've always felt like um, you should be recruiting at all times, you know, like even even if you're struggling to forecast your headcount, even if your your budget is. Um, in question or something like that, like building and fostering relationships. Um, I, I understand you need to prioritize your time effectively, but like these things pay dividends and down markets can be a good time to do that. So um, yeah, again, in summary at a super high level, just like plan it based on the roadmap as much as you can and um, 
I would say, you know, keep the engine running as much as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you had previously mentioned compensation and you know, maybe some kind of ebbs and flows with that as well and some trends there. Is there anything that you've seen from a compensation standpoint that you think is like an interesting trend worth noting? Yeah. Um, I think uh, there, there's been, I, I've noticed in a lot of cases, there's a change in like offer composition. Um, so like net, I, th I think offers are still kind of increasing, like comp packages total seem to increase net year over year, even when the markets are down, um, at least based on what I've, obser I've observed. But I do think um, some teams might be shifting to larger equity packages in order to conserve cash comp and like offering lower salaries if, if candidates are open to that. Um, on the other hand, I've also seen teams that have like really, really large war chests um, kind of capitalizing on the market and um, knowing that they might be in like a uniquely strong position and just offering insanely outsized base compensation um, to kind of like, you know, scoop up as much talent as possible in, in this time. Um, but I think maybe something specific to crypto. Um, at least in H1 of this year, it, it seems like candidates are valuing token comp a little bit less too, anecdotally. Um, I don't know that that's like super wise in my mind. I actually think token comp is, is a really, really great thing in a lot of ways, but I think it speaks to the market and kind of what we spoke about earlier um, with candidates wanting stability and, you know, to feel like safe and like their, their comp is going to be as predictable as possible. So that's been a thing. Um, dealing with a lot of teams around token comp um, pretty regularly. And I guess the other trend is um, maybe more global. Like I've, I've kind of noticed there are some teams internationally and mostly within Europe for whatever reason that are kind of seeking um, tier one talent and in, in many cases, often talent that's in the US, but they might not be quite willing to pay market rates. Um, so like, I think some candidates are often wary about whether comp is gonna be on par with opportunities that they might have elsewhere. And uh, we're seeing a trend, I would say, in cost of living adjustments where um, mm. less and less companies seem to be doing it. And this is something that I've been kind of professing for years, I think, but like it is a competitive disadvantage, I think, to be doing cost of living adjustments. And uh, I understand there are benefits to it from a budget perspective, but um, we see more and more teams, I think, starting to think about merit-based pay, like regardless of where someone might live, just, you know, paying them based on the the value of their work and the output that they're producing for the company. I, I would say those are probably like the big things that come to mind. Yeah, those are those are a lot of interesting points. I, I would say, funny enough, I, I agree that we have seen, for whatever reason, a decent number of companies. And and I don't know why why it is, but I guess because of the lower compensation in uh you know the the EU where they have expectations of Hey, we can hire this person wherever, and it's gonna, you know, we're gonna find a Solidity developer for 110k, um, and that person makes double that in the United States, yeah. and you know, they want that person from the U.S. And obviously, there are gonna be challenges associated with that. Um, the other thing I think was was a really interesting point is around and speaking to the continued uh, cyclicality of of the industry is is the desire and interest in token compensation because. I guess the the lowered interest level right now to me is the exact opposite of of kind of what should be the case 
Um, and it's it's just it kind of just gives me a little bit of a chuckle because a lot of these tokens are down now, whatever it is, 60, 70, 80, 90% from where they were previously. Or if they haven't been released yet, they're probably releasing at a lower valuation than they, they would have otherwise. And because of that, like there's less interest from from job seekers in that where it's much more advantageous for them versus, you know, two years ago when you're you know, potentially getting token grants at a wildly inflated market cap in compare, you know, or just valuation in comparison to to what it was even a year or two prior. Um, so I mean that's that's just like outside of some of the the portions of of discussion on token comp, which I think we need to get into a little bit more, um, which I'm I'm personally from a just a, an employee standpoint, a big fan of. Um, I think like now to me is a really advantage, advantageous time to be leaning into that versus shying away from. Yeah, it. yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there are there are, it's different than equity in a lot of ways, and um, I think yeah. there are significant benefits to candidates in my mind. Um, some that often go overlooked, but but yeah, um, in markets like this, I think there are probably a couple things that candidates should consider and companies should definitely consider. Um, for one, you know, I, I think you have to have long-term faith in the market. And this, this kind of goes back to what I was saying mm-hmm. earlier about um, hiring talent in these times. Um, you, you're often finding people who really believe in, your, in the ethos of the space, who, who kind of really believe where this is going long-term. And, you know, the ones who are willing to take token comp right now, um, if they're right, that the market does rebound, often end up doing quite well for themselves. Um, I also think there's a lot to do with how companies calculate the amount of tokens that they're going to give to someone. Like, how do they come up with um, a fair token comp package? Uh, because again, it's it's very, very different than equity. Like with, with equity, your um, the value of your offer is kind of usually pegged to like the last 409A or like the last um, time the mm-hmm. company raised around. Whereas, you know, with token comp, it's it's constantly moving with the market. And some companies are calculating this, the, the, the amount of tokens that they give to someone based on like the fair market value of the token at the time, um, which I think can be, can be really problematic, you know, um, and I, I've actually written a little bit about like the different approaches that companies can take and some of what the pros and cons are. So um, I would say for anybody listening to this, that's thinking about paying token comp or receiving it, that's something that not a lot of people pay as much attention to as they should. Like, how did you actually come up with this number and, and why is this fair to me right now? Um, but it doesn't surprise me even in light of some like the regulatory conversation that's happening right now and um, just changes in market liquidity, like we were, like we were saying earlier, but none of that in my mind um, negates a lot of the benefits of token comp. And I I do personally think that um, the market is likely to recover at some point. That's my, that's my own, and you know, my own hypothesis and opinion. So um, I'm I'm a fan of token comp as well for, for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, even obviously there's benefits to equity comp as well, but it's, it was, it was just crazy to see the, I guess, rise and fall of some of the companies that were people, people were very early in on and just got no liquidity from had worked there for three or four years in the last bull market. And because of, you know, a variety of factors, whatever it might be, they just didn't get to materialize the benefits of their efforts. And on the flip side, token compensation, you know, it's typically, a, at least from what I've seen, one year cliff with a four year vest, you're a lot more likely to actually see some liquidity yeah. 
versus the equity side of the house. Um, With that said, I am curious on on your end. I know you talked about a couple different, whether it's the price on grant day or, and that not necessarily being ideal. Is there a specific, with all things considered, like relatively ideal structure that somebody either should be thinking about as a company or as a, as a job seeker? Is there a structure that you look at and you're like, this is about as fair as it can be? from a, from a, a token grant standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, so if it, if it's helpful to anyone who might be listening, um, there are two posts on our research blog, the dragonfly blog that I wrote, um, around token comp. The, the first one is around, um, how to set up token comp before a token goes live. So if you're a founder that's thinking about compensating with tokens, like how do you structure this? How do you, how do you allocate appropriately? And, um, especially for companies that have a finite supply of tokens, um, it's different. You know, you, you have to take several things into consideration that you wouldn't for round equity. Um, the second post, I think, touches much more on what we're talking about now, which is like, how do you calculate fair offers for someone? And um, I won't go into like all the trade-offs of the different approaches in this call. I, I would say like, check that out if you want, but at a very high level, the, the three approaches that we commonly see, um, one is this fair market value approach that we talked about. Like they're just, choosing a dollar amount that they want to pay someone, and then they're um, extrapolating out based on whatever the value of the token is now. Um, the second approach is similar. It's fair market value, but um, they might do something like what Coinbase was doing for a while. I don't, I don't know if they still are. Several companies where like they do annual grants. So um, yes, it is still fair market value, but like there's a little bit more granularity and control because um, it's being revisited every year. And I think there are trade-offs there too. I don't know that I necessarily like that approach the most either. Um, the approach that I most commonly endorse is um, a percentage-based approach. So figuring out like, how do you offer someone um, a percentage of the token pool? Like how do you calculate a fair percentage of the token pool? Um, because in my mind, it kind of eliminates the variable of market volatility from the equation. Um, and yeah, again, pros and cons, I, I would say it's, it's by far the hardest thing to operationally set up and structure well. Um, but you can benchmark against equity and, uh, make some modifications to make it work for crypto. And I I would say like, that's, that's the approach that I most commonly recommend. Um, the post, the post also really, really briefly touches on some more experimental approaches that like, we don't see a lot of teams doing. I think this is something that like companies are still experimenting with now, despite the fact that token comp has been around for, you know, five plus years or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, TLDR, I would say like, I'm, I'm personally a fan of this, like token percentage of token pool approach. If, if you can put the time into structure it well. Awesome. And I'll put a link in the YouTube and podcast, uh, notes. So if anybody's interested in reading some of these articles that we've mentioned, I'll get those and you can take a quick look at those as well. Uh, with that said, um, just thinking about the work you do. Like you said, do a lot of work both at a macro and micro level with early stage founders. What are some of the more common challenges that you see early stage founders facing when it comes to the hiring or, or talent landscape? Um, I think uh, that if you ask a founder directly, the thing that we most often hear is top of funnel. You know, like it's it's always just kind of a challenge. Of like, how do we get the right candidates in the door? We, we don't have enough folks to talk to. Um, I think a lot of the times founders and many of them are self-aware, but like they, they kind of just don't know what they don't know. Um, so this is unique to every company and it's a big part of why having like a one-on-one, um, 
very high touch kind of tailored approach makes sense. Um, we spent a lot of time trying to diagnose like what the unique challenges might be. Um, other common things that come up anecdotally, um, I don't think a lot of early stage are often paying attention to things like pass through rates. Like they might not even be aware that they're losing more candidates than they should at different points of the funnel. Um, what else is it that uh, time to hire is another big one? You know, like how do we how do we get candidates through the process quickly enough? Um, trying to think of like what other things are commonly coming up. Um, Yeah, honestly, it's it's a. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's anything that's unique to crypto. Like, um, I actually think it's like a lot of the same challenges that you see, regardless of what you're recruiting and what what industry you're recruiting in. Um, kind of the standard, how do we optimize our funnel types of problems at at the highest level. For sure. Yeah, the the time to hire thing continues to be something that we see quite a bit, and it's maybe a little bit more more recently. But that is an area where I think that's typically my biggest advice or just biggest area of emphasis for founders or just people in the hiring function is like having a, it doesn't need to be an insanely fast interview process, but having like a smooth and efficient, well-functioning interview process is very much important and will give you the best access to talent. It is almost insane to me how often sometimes people will go and expect a candidate to wait two weeks post final interview or a week post final interview without any feedback or anything like that. And it just puts you at such a disadvantage to hire the people that you actually want to hire when you have a, a slow interview process and slow feedback. Yes, yeah, I agree. And, and I also want to say like, while I think those are the, the challenges that we most commonly face, um, the breadth of issues that we end up helping teams tackle or that they come to us with is um, is quite broad. Like um, a lot of it is often just around like setting the right foundation for um, building a hiring function. Like there there could be a lot of work that wants that should be done around like culture and values. Um, like how do we make sure we're defining things that we want in everyone who we want to hire, regardless of what their role will be, and um, effectively look for that and like safeguard our culture and, and scale it as the company grows. Um, some of it is around headcount planning. Like we were saying earlier, like, you know, how do we, how do we figure out who we want to hire in these kind of turbulent markets um, all the way through stuff? Like, you know, we, we've helped some teams think through mergers and acquisitions, like what's the right talent strategy when you're going to acquire a small team or um, it verges into people ops sometimes, like how do we deal with leveling systems and performance improvement plans and performance reviews. And so like, very, very broad spectrum of things that we help teams with. And um, I, I actually think a, this blog post that I'm working on now that I hope to ship quite soon will will give a little bit more insight into this. But yeah, like if the most common things are always kind of going to be like top of the funnel, time to hire and um, making sure that uh, they have interview questions that are kind of explicitly looking for the things that they care about, I would say. At what point in the company journey is it important to start thinking seriously about a lot of the subjects you just mentioned? Because I think you work with you know, companies that might be as small as two or three people. Like, Is there a specific point in time where you feel like, hey, you really need to start thinking about all of these topics that I just mentioned in terms of like the important things to, to focus on? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, 
I keep coming back to this idea of like micro and, and macro. And, and when I joined Dragonfly, um, I think I was the 15th employee here and or right around there. And we probably had like a 40 company portfolio at the point. Um, today we're, I think a little bit over 40 people and like 150 companies or something like that. And again, I'm, I'm fortunate that my team has kind of grown, but the reason I bring this up is like when I joined, um, also being tasked with internal hiring, I had to figure out like, what can I do that's really gonna scale well? Um, and so one of the first things that I did was um, a bunch of writing. And I essentially wrote um, what, what became a book. It's, it's kind of like a, an early stage hiring handbook. And um, the question I was trying to answer was, if I were a founder who had never really done hiring before, or if I personally were gonna go build another hiring function from scratch, um, what are all the things I would wanna consider? And ideally, like, what's the right order of operations to think about these things in? So coming back to your question to like, what should we be thinking about when? Um, in this, I, I'm, I'm often thinking about my coaching calls like through the structure of this guide that I've written. And the first section is really around what I think is kind of foundational work. So um, I do think there are things that teams should be thinking about that are gonna save them a lot of headaches if they, if they get it down from day one um, before they really go out there and kind of like aggressively blitz the market. And to me, some of that stuff is really around like Again, defining your culture and your values, um, nailing down your roadmap, planning your headcount, um, making sure you understand how to pitch effectively to various audiences, like technical and non-technical audiences, um, figuring out compensation, you know, thinking about budgeting, making sure your interview process is robust and um, you have tooling in place that you know you can kind of efficient, efficiently manage your process. Um, so yeah, I, I would say I would say there are always things that early stage teams should kind of be thinking about first, but um, there's always going to be stuff that you kind of learn along the way too. And you know, once you set that groundwork, it's just a matter of like um, optimizing different points of the funnel, essentially. Yeah, that's it's great. I you had gotten a chance just in our previous conversations, you had kind of given us a gloss through that guidebook you created, which is which is really awesome and. I think the fact that your portfolio companies have access to that is as incredible. And I think that's, that's like the, what I've seen as well as in conversations with other folks, both in the talent and people function, intern, uh, internal, external, as well as within like VC functions is, is just the sooner you have education on this and the sooner you can put those practices into place, the better, because it's much harder to make those adjustments when you are, 10, 15, 20 people yeah. than if you are two, three, four, five people. Um, and so the fact that, you know, folks that get to, to work with your team have even like the opportunity to read something like that, I think is probably a, a lifesaver in, in, in avoiding some, some pretty, pretty big mistakes in, in the future. Thanks. I appreciate that. But, but I also want to come back to this idea that like not everything that I wrote or whatever, you know, like is, is going to be broadly applicable. Like I think every team has their own unique constraints and philosophy and needs and um but yeah there there are some things that i think are just generally good to put in place up front um this is going to change too if you're a later stage company like growth stage challenges are very very different um and this is something that we're starting to produce a lot more content around now as uh we get into more growth stage deals too but yeah Coming to the end of this discussion now, is there anything that uh, you know I didn't cover that you'd like to to leave off with at this point? Um, no, I, I, not not that I can think of. I mean, I, I really appreciate you having me on. I just want to thanks for the opportunity. Um, anything else that's on your mind? Or 
No, nothing in particular. I would just say that, you know, if you are an early stage founder or if you are somebody just involved in the hiring front, I, I think, you know, the work that you've done at Dragonfly and, and previously too, but, you know, having gotten an opportunity to see, to see a lot of, you know, the content that you've created and the, the depth and detail that you put into that is, is really impressive. Um, so if you are looking to learn and improve in the way in which you're hiring, highly recommend checking out the resources uh, that we'll put into the YouTube and podcast description just because it's it's among the best uh, within the crypto space for sure. So Thanks. I think just really excellent work and, and honor to have you on the show. Thanks. No, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, if there's anybody out there who just wants to jam on any of this stuff, um, I'm always, always interested in talking to people who are curious about the space or in it or thinking about raising funds or whatever it might be. So um, feel free to DM me on Twitter or whatever works. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you too. Always good to see you.